0: Hi, friends. Welcome back to With Great People, the podcast for high-performance teams. I'm Richard Kasparowski. This episode is an interview with Abby Fittner. Abby is the hacker chick. She's an author, speaker, and innovation ninja. Abby and I discuss her best team ever. She offers some great stories and wisdom, including figuring out what you want to do, not flipping the bozo bit, and more. To support this podcast, sign up for my newsletter at com. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the show, Abby.
1: Thanks. Happy to be here.
0: Uh, Abby, will you introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: Absolutely. So my background has been, um, I've been heavy in the Agile space. I started as a software developer, um, had the lucky accident of falling into working with startups right out of college, which was amazing, um, and getting into Agile in the very early days because it made a lot of sense for startups at the time. And so I spent a number of years as an agile coach. Um, that is what the Hackertip blog has largely been about. Um, but then over the last five or six years, I've really moved back into the startup space and innovation um, as Microsoft's evangelist for startups. And then most recently at Harvard Innovation Lab as their hacker in residence, <laughs> helping students cool. to create uh, companies and technology. Uh, But these days, I'm really excited. I am working on teaching organizations how to thrive when everything around them is changing. Because, as the World Economic Forum points out, we are starting entering the fourth industrial revolution, uh, which is a time of unprecedented change. And all of the changes that are happening in artificial intelligence and robotics and autonomous vehicles are just amplifying one another. So we're hitting this amazing level of growth we've never seen before, and What's really exciting is it's not just the technology, but it's impacting everything from society to, of course, the future of work and what our organizations are going to look like. So I help organizations to develop the skills to be more responsive to change and to foster a culture of innovation that really takes advantage of every one of their employees. All right.
0: right. I love it. That sounds sounds awesome. Um, So. This is the podcast about high-performance teams. Our listeners like to hear about our guest's best team ever. Do you have a a best team ever that you can think of?
1: I do. And what's really funny is from all my years of startups, I have worked on tons of high-performance teams. And yet, when you told me the topic of this podcast, I just immediately knew the team was (laughs) Harvard Innovation Lab. It just immediately came to me.
0: I want you to try this. Bring yourself back to the experience of being on that team. And sometimes people do this. Sometimes I guide people through this like it's a meditation almost. If you closed your eyes, if you sat comfortably in your chair, you relax your belly, you really take yourself back to that team, the Harvard Innovation Lab team. And re-experience what it feels like to be on that team. What is one word that you could use to describe that sensation?
1: Hmm. I feel like, oh my gosh, so many words come to me. Maybe respect.
0: (laughs) Respect. All right. So what do you mean when you say respect?
1: I just feel that there was such huge respect for one another on the team. And it was actually, it was almost a fortunate um, accident of the way that the team was structured. So Mm -hmm. Just for a little bit of context, the innovation lab is now five years old, six years old. Um, And initially, there was just a really small team of us. Um, There were basically three of us that were on the programming team, and we were the ones who were defining what the innovation lab was going to look like. And this was something that was really had never been done at this level at any university before. Mm -hmm. And the way that the team was set up is that there was an assistant director in charge of each of the three main areas that students might be interested in doing entrepreneurship around so I was in charge of technology another person was in charge of science and another was in charge of social entrepreneurship and so we each approached things with such completely different viewpoints and perspectives that we have these meetings and I mean we all we were really excited and passionate and very strongly opinionated about how things should operate there and, you know, which teams we should spend more time with. And yet each one of us had such a different thought. So I might think, oh, we need this team because they're doing amazing things in tech. And the person from social entrepreneurship is thinking about, you know, these people things that, you know, techies like me don't think about as much. (laughs) And the person from science who headed up science, Alice would think about totally different things and just we learned so much from one another because even though we thought about things so differently, we all respected the fact that each of us was equally passionate about making everything great and about helping the students as much as we could. And so while I feel like in other circumstances we might have had, you know, almost knockdown fights because we had such different viewpoints here, we'd all state our view and then we'd be okay with what the ultimate decision was. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, totally, totally. And so that's, that's kind of one, one example of a a concrete behavior uh, that went into this team being so good. Each person would state what they're thinking, even though you came from different perspectives, you actually listened to each other and respected what the others were saying. Yeah. So what are some, um, I don't know, maybe some some ways that you could gauge that some other ways you could gauge that this was one of the best teams ever, Uh, anything subjective opinions and feelings about it, anything objective. Uh, Do you have any, anything, were there any measurements about this team?
1: I mean, the other thing that comes to me is I almost want to use the word innovative, but I feel like that would be Uh a little bit too obvious. Um,
0: However,
1: (laughs) you know, one thing that always really bugs me when I hear people talking about innovation and startups and all of that is this, idea of embracing failure and I mean we talk about that in agile too right and this yeah. theme I think made me realize why I so dislike that term because I don't think of something as failing unless we do something and it doesn't work and we just give up like okay that's yeah. failure but here we were trying to do something that had never been done before and so we would just try things and we would all be totally fine with the fact mm-hmm. that sometimes they didn't work and we didn't even think like, we didn't even view it as not working or failure. I mean, we'd go, okay, yeah, we shouldn't do that again. But it was all just about learning. And I know I'm using words that we hear everybody talk about all the time, but it was just, that was just how we acted. And we didn't even think about it on this team. And so I feel like, You know, I guess another thing that I would point to, and I think this is also why a lot of the startup teams um, that I've been on, and I'm sure startup teams in general are so high performing, is even though we all have our different roles, it's like we're all equal partners in the growth and creation of what's happening. And because we respect that each of us cares about it and are just trying our best to figure out different ways to meet the goal. You know, how can we help the students the most? How can we bring in the best speakers? How can we provide the best experience for them? And we don't know. And we're all just trying. And so we try things and some things work better than others. And when they don't work, we don't go, oh, that was a failure. Like that word never even was used. We just go, oh, yep. (laughs) We don't want to do that again. And, (laughs) you know, we share that learning again. Like we didn't even talk about the fact that we were sharing the learning. It's just what happened naturally. And we just know better for the next thing that we did.
0: How how fast were you learning? Was there, was there any way to to get a sense of that? Gosh,
1: I don't know, but it. I mean, it was very much like a startup case, which is interesting. At you know, such like a yeah. big organization like Harvard.
0: Yep. So, so the the innovation lab was kind of like a, a startup within Harvard, and, and you were trying out you had a very clear mission you had three of you focused on different areas at the beginning. Uh, you were all partners together and you were trying things out to to do the best for, for your students and the people that you were delivering the service to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, so, um, Gordon Jones was the initial, um, lead of the innovation lab and he had just done an amazing job of sort of what's the word that I want of buffering us from all of the bureaucratic and political and anything else that might be going on in the university so that we had this very safe space in which to operate. Gordon and Jordy Goldstein were the two running the lab. And I think another interesting thing, I think it was very interesting because the way that they ran the lab is they didn't have concrete goals. Like we need to have this many students through our door, this many events, or this many classes that are taught here. We had objectives that we uh-huh. tried, you know, that we wanted to hit, that it would be great if we had this many things, but it was more about an overall vision and each of us figuring out the best way that we could reach that vision. Yeah, I think yeah. that was really powerful because I think when you set goals, you almost a little bit limit yourself. Yeah. But when, because, oh, okay, we'll get 100 students. Well, then you get 100 students and that's it. Yeah, exactly. But when you're doing something that's never been done before, and the possibilities are practically limitless, then I think goals can actually be harmful. And instead yeah. it was all about, we were very aligned on a common vision. Um, we wanted to create this amazing experience for students and, you know, across these different areas. And because of that, we were free to experiment. We were free to even figure out what was Within our job role and what wasn't, there was, I think, a lot of flexibility there. Um, If we felt like something that seemed like the obvious thing that should have been part of our job, um, it was actually kind of a joke to us because I had a student one time give me a really hard time that I wasn't doing something that seemed obvious that I should be doing, but I hadn't even considered it part of my role because it didn't seem that (laughs) vital to me, right? And they called me up and they said, you need to do your job. And so that became like a (laughs) silly joke. Between us, that you know, whenever someone wouldn't do something that someone else thought they should or was the obvious thing, we'd say, "Do your job." Yeah. us <laughs> this flexibility to do whatever we thought was most important, and I think it allowed us to go beyond, well, beyond what we might have if we'd been constrained by goals. I,
0: I, lo- I love that story—the uh, <laughs> story of um, a, a really big vision—and that if you had specific goals or specific objectives, it would it would feel like it was limiting that vision. So you're you just open to all the possibilities. You're totally aligned with each other. The vision was concrete and it was really important.
1: Yeah. And what's funny is I'm saying these things now, but none of this was articulated at the time. We yeah. just, I feel like we were so in sync and uh-huh. we were all, I know I've said this already, but we were all just really passionate about yeah. helping the students and creating this great thing that it was just, it was almost the natural way for us to act. Um, which I feel like sometimes in a typical corporate organizational structure, we feel like we're, there's these ways that we're supposed to act. Um, yeah. But when we're really given the freedom to just do the right thing, I think we act in a very different mode.
0: Yeah. It's almost like corporate means limited <laughs> in the sense, like, like you put on a different costume or you put on a, uh, you, you sort of, uh, you, you filter out possibilities.
1: Yeah, and you feel like there's things that you should do, like that student telling me, yeah. I can't even remember what
0: it was, do, yeah. your job. <laughs> <laughs> do your job. Every time I see you now, I'm going to tell you to do your job. <laughs> <laughs> so what are, what, are, what were some of the, um, so we've talked a little bit about some of the behaviors. What were some other concrete behaviors that you engaged in together that, that led to this awesome team-ness with each other?
1: You know, one thing that I really liked, and I feel like this might be a little controversial in the Agile community, um, I feel like there's such a push now to have everything be collaborative and we're doing everything together. However, Mm -hmm. I am a very, I don't even know, know the word. I like to just go off. I like to know what I'm doing and then go off and just be able to think about it deeply and do my work on my own And then bring it back to people for feedback, right? Um, You know, not go off for years, but to be able to do the primary, primary deep thinking on my own. And I feel like the team was well set up for this, that we were, we hit that right balance between the collaboration on we'd get together and we'd have conversations about how we should be doing things and the best way to do things and come up with ideas mm-hmm. but then we'd be able to all go off on our own to work on them um so this is there's probably a better example but the one that comes to mind is every semester we'd have uh our venture incubation program where we bring in like a hundred student-led startups this is a crazy amount of startups and we get hundreds of applications from students that wanted to be accepted and yeah. we each would go and review them and we'd go and review them on our own, but then we'd come together. And again, like the different perspectives were interesting because we each have very different viewpoints. So I think it actually worked to our benefit that we each reviewed it on our own rather than sitting down by yeah. committee and deciding, if that makes yeah. sense. However, yeah. once we reviewed it on our own and we each, you know, we had a spreadsheet where we each kind of wrote our scores in, and then we'd get together and we'd say, okay, these are the ones that we didn't agree on. Let's talk about why. Uh-huh. And so there was that collaboration that I think was very important and that bringing in of different perspectives, but it didn't, it wasn't that we felt like we had to do everything as a joint task. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, totally. Uh, and, and I think I remember, you know, we haven't done any real work together, but we took a little bit of a class together once one of the um, Jim and Michelle McCarthy yeah, it's like a, a really short version of their their boot camp. And one thing I think I remember from it is learning this term that they call maverick behavior. <laughs> and I, th- I think Jim used you as an example <laughs> of, of a maverick, somebody who's like aligned with the team and the team's goals, but then just goes off and does something. Right? Yeah. And, and, and does something good and, and comes back and shares it with the team, whatever that goodness was. And, and they, use, they use that word maverick. Like It's somebody who, uh, who's, who's independent and doing something adventurous and, and interesting and exciting. And it's, awesome. still, and it's still part of the team.
1: That's awesome. I'm going to have to remember that. So I actually don't remember <laughs> that. But it's funny because I was a little hesitant to share that story because I remember when I was at startups, yeah. I was what people would consider a cowboy coder. I would be yeah. like, okay, what do we need to figure out? And I'd go off and figure it out. And, oh, I yeah. love working that way. It was so cool. Yeah. And then I realized, oh, a cowboy coder had this negative connotation. I'm <laughs> not sure that it always did, but sometimes it did. Like, you don't want any cow- cowboy coders on your team. That's yeah, right. that. Um, and I... I don't know. I feel like the pendulum can swing both ways. You know, we go from all innovation and ideas are from the sole, you know, individual working alone in their garage to we all have to work together on everything to come up with the best stuff. Yeah. Um, I think there really is a balance, you know, where you allow both the coming together and for people to go off and have their own yeah. ideas and come up with things on their own. Or maybe I think,
0: just, by, I'm I think by doing that, like in, in the example you had of uh, independently reviewing all the applications, you were avoiding the, one of the cognitive biases of, of like anchoring each other or, or, or biasing each other. Like like one person says, I like this or I don't like this. And instantly the other two people on the team are, are biased to agree with you.
1: Exactly. Yeah, kind of devolving into groupthink.
0: Yeah. So, so it was kind of a way of, um, I don't know, getting getting the intelligence and and creativity and opinions from all three people without, without limiting it again.
1: Yeah.
0: Cool. (laughs) Now, what advice could you give to listeners? What are some things that, that, uh, that people listening could do to reproduce some of the success of this team?
1: So I have two things that come to mind immediately. The first Mm -hmm. is actually something I learned at my previous job. Um, So I was... When I was at Microsoft, I was one of their first evangelists for startups. That was a really fun role. (laughs) And because it was so new, nobody had any idea what I should be doing. (laughs) And I had a pretty good idea in my head of what I thought Microsoft thought I should be doing. Which uh, this is already like... you Maybe can imagine where this is going. But... (laughs) It wasn't clear. And I had this really cool role and I was very active in the community and helping startups. And so people were always coming up to me and saying, wow, Evangelist for Startups, that's such a cool title. What exactly is it you do? And I had no idea. And so I'd stumble over like the worst possible answer because I knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't really think that aligned with what Microsoft wanted me to do. And Mm -hmm. the best piece of advice I've ever gotten, I think, in my life was um, from Bill Warner. presenting at one of these talks and he just happened to overhear me saying this and he said, Abby, can I give you some advice? And I said, please. <laughs> and he said, stop trying to figure out what Microsoft wants you to do. Yeah. Instead figure out what you want to do and do that. Yeah. And that was terrifying to me because they were the ones paying my salary. I thought I can't do that. But I did <laughs> for whatever reason. And you know what they loved what I did, and they wound up actually modeling a lot of what they do for startups based on what I did. and I think again, it goes back to we feel like there's all these things that we should be doing when we're in a company. Yeah. and maybe it isn't even that the company is telling us that. Maybe we just have these ideas in our head that we just make these assumptions. Um, but because I'd had that experience, I think when I went into Harvard it just freed me yeah. to feel like I could kind of define my own role. Um, obviously, I don't, mean that, <laughs> I don't mean that I would be a maverick and go do my own thing. <laughs> um, I don't mean that I would ignore what we were trying to do at the innovation lab, but I felt that I had permission to do things in a way that was more natural to me, that made sense to me. Yeah. And I really think even in roles, I mean this you know when you're at a startup or you know in a, doing something brand new, I think there is more flexibility to be able to do that. But the more people that I talk to and share this with
0: mm-hmm.
1: that are not in you know that kind of role where they're working on you know legacy projects or whatever they it still resonates with them, they still say, "Yeah, you know, I think that I could be doing things differently um, kind of my own way, and it would actually. Make things better for the company. One that makes sense. (laughs) That's my first piece of advice. Um, All right. And now I need to remember because I had it on the tip of my tongue. My second piece. Oh, I remember. Okay, my second piece of advice is actually um, from James Altucher, and I want to say it was in his book "Choose Yourself." He has Mm -hmm. these things he suggests that people try. And one of them is pretend as if everyone on this planet was put here to teach you.
0: Ah.
1: And I love that. And I try really hard, especially when I meet somebody new and or when I'm t- someone's telling me something. And I'm almost, do you know the term flipping the bozo bit? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm almost flipping the bozo
0: bit on them, going, off I don't know what they're talking about.
1: I try really hard to remember that and say, you know, maybe they just have a different perspective and <laughs> pretend like they are actually teaching me. Um and I think that was really beneficial at the ILab where you know we did have people with very different perspectives. And I think it would have been easy for me to be closed off to them because, oh, you know, I don't even value what you value. We have, you know, different priorities. But I think that you learn and grow so much when you're able to really view these different perspectives as teaching you. And I don't mean at the end of the day, you're not still making your own decisions for what you want to do right but you're not viewing it as they're providing you with you know an argument or a contradicting viewpoint it's that they're providing you input that you learn from
0: yeah that's that's wonderful advice thank you so pretend people are here to teach you something and and um this 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 term flipping the bozo bit can you define that for people
1: (laughs) yes um i feel like that's kind of a an old term from coding, (laughs) but the idea is when you're talking to somebody and for whatever reason you decide that they have no idea in the world what they're talking about and you just flip the bozo bit and you're just, maybe you're nodding, but you're not taking it.
0: (laughs) So don't flip the bozo bit on people. Assume that they're there to teach you something. Yes. Cool. All right. Is there anything else you'd like to add?
1: The last thing I'd say is that I think especially when we've been doing the same thing for a really long time, it's really easy to find ourselves sort of coasting on autopilot.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Because we've been doing it for a while, we know it needs to be done, and we're just sort of going through the motions. And I think um, I think this is a great thing we can take from Agile even, but you know, the idea of retrospectives, we can do those on ourselves you know, just take the time periodically to check in with yourself and ask yourself if you're really doing what you want to be doing, if you're really doing it the way that you want to be doing it and kind of try to take yourself off of autopilot because I don't think that's a good way to go through life. I think it's better if you can approach life as an adventure.
0: Wonderful advice. And how can our listeners contact you?
1: They can find me
0: at Hackership.com or on Twitter as Hackership. All right. Abby Fickner, The Hacker Chick, thank you so much for joining us today. I've really enjoyed this conversation.
1: Thank you so much. So have I.
0: Hi, friends. Thanks for listening. And remember, to support this podcast, sign up for my newsletter at Kasparowski.com.